Although we both identify as Roman Catholic, our aim is not to convert or convince. We have no official affiliation with any religious body and present here only our own interpretations and opinions of these stories. We understand and expect that some listeners may not have spiritual belief in certain aspects of these events, but we hope you find value in them as historical narratives which are inextricably tied to the times, places, cultures, and spiritual beliefs of the people who lived and retold them. Due to age and variable documentation practices, we cannot guarantee the historical accuracy of these stories. Welcome to A Martyr and a Monk, where we discuss the stories of Roman Catholic saints. My name is Christina. And I'm Victoria. This week, I will be telling the story of 9th century teachers Cyril and Methodius. Okay, so Cyril and Methodius are a pair of brothers. Uh, They were born in Thessalonica, which is now part of Greece, and it's on the Mediterranean Ocean. Uh, But at the time, it was part of the Byzantine Empire. Uh, Methodius is the older brother. He was born approximately 815. How accurate that is, I don't know. (laughs) But everyone thinks it's about 815, so that's what we're going to go with. Uh, Cyril is uh, younger. He's actually, like, quite a bit down the line in, like, their sibling row. Oh, wow. Uh, He was born in 826, so they're about 11 years apart. It's like back with St. Clair. Not only do we have, like, three saints in the same town, but two of them are related. (laughs) Yes, they're brothers. And they have at least five other siblings. Damn. Maybe more. Backups. Yeah, don't know anything about, well, yes. Somebody's a backup. Yes. <laughs> so Cyril, the younger brother, is the youngest brother of seven. Okay. So they might have sisters too. There's definitely seven boys. Okay. Methodius is one of the older ones. Cyril is the youngest. And then there is an unknown number of girls. Yeah, and that makes sense because like, the boys are the ones that are, like, useful that at that time. I guess it's also possible that they just don't have any sisters. That's not impossible. It is possible, yeah. Yeah. They are born in Thessalonica, yep. she said. Yeah, which is now Greece. Only reason I know this is because I'm currently playing the Greek version of Assassin's Creed. Great. <laughs> and I'm learning a lot about Greece. <laughs> well, I don't know anything about Thessalonica except that it's in Greece and it's on the Mediterranean Ocean. And it sounds very Greek. It does sound very Greek. Yeah. So anyway... So Methodius was the older brother. He was born Michael, but I'm never going to call him Michael because Methodius is a much better name. And Cyril was born Constantine. Oh, that's Greek. Constantine might be a better name than Cyril, but I'm going to call him Cyril anyway. I don't know. Cyril's pretty good. Constantine's very uh, aggressive. Byzantine. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Uh, So they're born during the Byzantine Empire. So that's what's going on. Um, If anyone doesn't know a ton about history in this part of the world at this time. uh, So basically you have the Roman Empire for a long, long time doing Roman Empire stuff. You know, Alexander the Great killing Jesus, you know, Roman Empire stuff. And then I want to say in like the three or four hundreds, they kind of shifted their headquarters from Rome to Constantinople. Right. Yes, I know this from that that history of the world video. Yes. He's like, 
the Ro- Rome's over here now. <laughs> yes, Rome is over here now. Um, and that's around the same time that they adopt Christianity as like the state religion. Right. Um, and then they become the Byzantine Empire, which is like the child of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Roman Empire is like kind of still exists like the people in rome are still trying to like grasp onto their power but it's kind of it's going like it's dipping a little bit who so the move who was like who was the the emperor emperor before right before that like shift i don't know who was the one before it but i think it's emperor constantine who Who moves the capital does it yes because obviously it's named after him which is like and also he's the one who uh institutes christianity as like Right. The state religion. So I yeah. think all that happens, kind of happens like sort of simultaneously. Gotcha. Around f- right. 400-ish. And are they, they are against the Persians? Yes. They're, well, they're kind of fighting with everybody because empires fight with each other, but yes. Yeah. But the Persian Empire is like contemporary. Well, they're, it's the Sassanid Empire, which is what you would think of as a Persian Empire. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of, there's fighting with a lot of people. It's just a lot of stuff's happening. Uh, so yes. Not a great time. Yes. Uh, so these boys are born in Thessalonica. Their father's name is Leo. Uh, and he was a ancient Greek word that I'm about to butcher. A Drungarios, maybe. Drungarios, Drungarios, something like that. Which is a military rank in the Byzantine army. Okay. It would be the commander of what we would now call a battalion. Uh, which is 300 to 1,000 soldiers. So he's like a decently high-ranking dude. Yeah. 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 Uh, and their mother's name is Maria, and we don't know anything else about her. I bet her name is not Maria. I don't know. There's nothing <laughs> else about her. Although, to be fair, there's also not that much about his father. There was one sentence, and I just expanded it because I didn't know what a Drogarios is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So their dad dies um, when Methodius is 25 and Cyril is 14. So he was a good age. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't a, a baby. Well, I mean, their dad. Their oh, yeah. dad was a, yeah. He was like a proper adult, yes. Children were so old. Yes. I don't know what he died of. It People don't know. People don't really care about him. He's not important. He doesn't come up again. Um, so once their dad is dead, they kind of get not adopted because their mom is still alive, so they don't need to be adopted, but like taken under the wing of um, this guy called, oh, dear, Theoctistos. 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 Who is a Logothetes to Dromu, maybe. Also ancient Greek. Uh, so that, a Logothetes to Dromu, uh, is the head of the Department of the Public Post of the Byzantine Empire, uh, which would be like the. So he's a politician. Yeah, it would be like he's the head of like the Department of Transport and Shipping. Right. Kind of thing. So he looks after like roads and shipping stuff to the armies and like. Harbors and stuff. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. So he's the head of that department, and he's also one of the like top-ranking financial ministers in the empire. So he's like an important guy. He's also kind of involved with like education and played a pretty important role in the founding of the University of Magnuara, mm. uh, which is now Istanbul University. He sounds like a cool dude. He does. So he's got stuff going for him. Uh, I don't know anything else about him, really. I don't know if he was a good person or a bad person or anything, but he's, like, definitely got his fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, when they're growing up, there's, like, not any, don't know anything about their childhood or anything, really. Uh, They just, they they do grow up. Do we know where, approximately, like, if we're looking at, so this place is in Greece? Yes, Thessalonica's in Greece. Okay. Uh, But the university is in Istanbul. 
I was going to ask where on the Mediterranean we are, but we're in Greece. Yes. Uh, So not much is known about their childhood. They just had one, probably. And then the next thing we really know is that Cyril, who's the younger brother, uh, is ordained as a priest sometime in his 20s. Date unknown, but it's like he's reasonably young. He does it as soon as he finishes his education, probably his early 20s-ish. Thodius is a deacon at this time. Don't know when he became a deacon or how he got there. He just is. He just is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's what they're doing when they're kind of youngish. And so the interesting thing about Cyril and Methodius is that they're, because they're such old saints and they exist, they lived before they had like all these rules about miracles and like standards and all this stuff we have now. They don't really, like they're not miracle saints. They don't have any miracles. Oh. They're saints because of their like theologies their philosophy their teaching like writing. their writing their yeah like the stuff they did in the early church so they're probably important from like a canon perspective yes they are in terms of like forming that yes those kind of writing but they stuff. don't have they didn't like heal anybody or yeah. you know walk on water or anything nothing like that happens to them which we should really go into when those saint rules come up because by the 1100s with saint Clair, those are rules yeah, well, they... And that's only 300 years. They don't even get canonized. That's how no rules there are. They just are saints. They just are. All right. <laughs> yes. So that is what's happening in the 800s. It just Okay, happens. we should determine when somebody was like, we should make some rules for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and who, who did that? <laughs> All right. So Cyril and Methodius, I gather, are like tight because they spend their whole lives together. So the first thing that they do that's like actually historically important and I assume contributes to their saintiness um, is that they are sent on a mission to the Khazars. Uh, This is in eight... Caesar? No, Caesar is long dead because remember we've shifted the Roman Empire and things are... The Rome is falling. There are no more Caesars. I know, it's just Khazar sounds... No, it's Khazar. It's Khazar like Kazakh. Oh, yeah. Yes. That kind of Khazar with a K-H, not a C-A-E, a K-H. Uh, so in 860, let's see, Methodius is in his 50s, in his 40, well, he's in his mid-40s, and Methodius is in his mid-30s. Uh, they're sent on a mission to the Khazars. Uh, so first, the Khazars are the people of the Khazar Khaganate, okay. uh, which are a was a semi-nomadic um, Turkic empire thing. Uh, which covered what is now the European part of Russia, a bit of uh, Siberia, Asian Russia, uh, most of the south of Ukraine, and most of modern Kazakhstan. So that kind of like north steppe zone. That's where these people are hanging out. So they're a cognate, which is basically just like the Central Asian version of a kingdom. It means a place ruled by a Khan instead of a place ruled Uh, by a king. Look at that. (laughs) Yeah, so a cognate, really, it doesn't mean anything different than kingdom. It just means that they're calling their king a con. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it is built from the... So there was this other cognate called the Western Turkic Cognate, which was a really, really big deal and existed uh, for a while and covered actually like most of Central Asia and Western China and Mongolia and like wow. a big chunk of that middle bit. Yeah. Um, so when that falls apart, a group of it kind of regroups as the Khazar Cognate. Okay, question. Yes. Is this, are we really, really far before or much after, like, Genghis Khan type stuff? We're like three or four hundred years before. Okay, we're in the same vicinity. He's in like the 1200s and we're in 860. All right. Yeah. 
so they sort of regroup from the fall of the Western Turk and Turkish Khaganate. They are like a really major empire because they obviously cover a lot of Central Asia. So they're controlling a lot of the Silk Roads routes. So they're like um, yeah. making money left and right. They, you know, they get to decide who gets to use their roads and who doesn't, Tolls. who gets killed. Yes. Goddamn tolls. <laughs> yes, exactly. Tolls and like customs fees and stuff. They're uh-huh. like, they're doing great here in the middle. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Cyril and Methodius are sent on a mission up to them okay. because uh, apparently the Khazars asked for a scholar who could basically help translate because obviously they're like, you know, interacting with a lot of other empires and like people are traveling around. So they just, it's unclear that they needed anyone religious, particularly. It seemed like they really just needed someone who could like communicate effectively. Yeah. And those are pretty much the only people who were educated. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Cyril and Methodius are actually sent specifically by the Byzantine emperor at the time, who was uh, Michael III. So they're like already, like they've got some recognition and power because the emperor's like, you two. Oh, interesting. Go do this yeah. thing with our trading, like our trading partner. So we don't really know what they were doing that doing before, but somehow they're it's, on the radar. Yeah. Yes. It seems like Cyril was teaching at the university, maybe. Oh. Uh. Yeah. But other than that, I don't know if he, like, wrote something really important or yeah. if he, I don't know what he was doing that made him famous in this way. But but also, he, he was, yeah, he was also kind of adopted by that um, high-up minister. Yeah. So this high-up minister is, like, getting him jobs, basically. Yeah. Especially if it's from the emperor, King Dude. Because if, yeah, if, if, like, King Dude's like, hey, we need somebody, ministers mm-hmm. would be like, idea. My my kid. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. That, that's probably what happened. Yeah. Uh, I do know uh, that he was teaching at some point in the university, but I don't know if that was actually the why he got picked for yeah. this. But he has some credibility and he's highly Yes, educated. like he's an, he's an educated person. Yeah. He knows what's up. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So the Khazars are, because of where they sit, they kind of act as a buffer zone between the Christian Byzantine Empire and the Turkic nomads who are just like floating around on the steps. Uh-huh. And the Sasanian Empire, which is the Persians. Okay. And then after the Sasanian Empire falls, it turns into the Islamic Caliphates, who are Muslim, obviously. So you've got the Christian Byzantines, the Muslim Caliphates, and these Khazars up on the steppe, who are all kind of like interacting. Yeah. You told me this was going to be complicated. And it's just... It is. It is. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of stuff. Um, but so the Khazars uh, actually were allies with the Byzantine Empire, and together they brought down the Sasanian Empire, the Persians. Okay. So that's I, yes. So the Persians All get right. re- yeah the Persians get replaced by the Muslim Caliphates, and that's because the Khazars and the Byzantines like buddied up and brought them down. Can we visualize like where these things are? In terms of countries today. So we have the Byzantine, which is like... Yeah, it's like Turkey, Greece. Border of Mediterranean, essentially. We've got the Khazars, which are up a little bit, like north smidgen into Russia, Central Asia. So they're sitting kind of on the north, northeast side of the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. Uh And then we have like the... Persians, which then break apart, which are a little bit further south, so that's more like Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia Northern ish. Africa. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so then we've got the Khazars and the Byzantines are like coming from like from the left, the north, and, from the and the top. west. Yeah, the yeah, north and, and west. Then come down. They, and... Yeah, they break up the Sasanian Empire, which then just immediately gets replaced by the Islamic Caliphates, and I don't think they got along with them any better than they got along <laughs> with the Sasanians, but that's what happened. 
It's almost like it's because they're the same people. Yes, shocking, I know. Doesn't matter what they're called. Yes, so that's like why the Khazars are coming to the Byzantines, because they're like political allies. Okay. That's why they trust the Byzantine Empire to send them to some scholars to help with this. Right. All right, so... At this point, Persians has been Persia or the Persian Empire has been broken up. Yes, the Sasanians have already fallen. Okay, it's now the Caliphates. They're doing Islamic stuff, and the Khazars are like, "Hey, we want some translator dudes to help us with our fantastic toll system." Yes, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so they specifically asked for someone who could talk to Jews and who someone who could talk to Saracens. And Saracens are just is an old fashioned word for Arab Muslims. So they just need someone who can talk to the people that are around. Yeah. Okay. And Saracens are Sarsens. Yes. Just pronounced correctly. Yes. It's just an old, it's like a very medieval word for Arab Muslims. It doesn't actually really mean anything. All right. Okay. Uh, so Cyril gets sent on this trip to do this translady stuff. Um, and he's there for like about a year. The dates are very hazy because no one cared. Um, but like a year ish. <laughs> uh, he goes to a place called uh, Kersinosos, maybe? Which is also a Greek word. Um, it's on the north shore of the Black Sea, which is part of Crimea now, which is sometimes part of the Ukraine and sometimes part of Russia. Um, but it's Ukraine. It's on the north shore of the Black Sea. Okay. It's actually a uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site now, this city, oh. this Greek city on the Black northern Black Sea. Yeah. So he's up there. I wonder how much like Greek stuff is left. Quite a lot, I think. I was looking at pictures and it's like, it looks like Rome, basically. Damn. It's like a lot of stuff. It's big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so he goes up there. Um, while he's there, he apparently learns the Khazar language. So he's like picking up languages because he was there, set there to translate into, yeah. you know, for the others already. And then he picked up the Khazar language while he was there. Yeah. It's very unclear if Methodius went with him because some people say that he did go with him. Some people say he didn't. It's possible that he didn't. And then someone just added it later because they went every did everything else in their lives together. Yeah. But whether or not Methodius was there, he didn't seem to have made a huge impact. So Wasn't doing a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they do this. And this is like their first big, like successful, like bringing them to light as good okay. theologian, yeah. teachery people. Uh, so they come back to Constantinople in 861. Um, Methodius is made an advisor uh, in like high up Byzantine politics. All of that must be from that adoptive dad. Like, there's no yes, way. Yes, I'm sure that was. Like, I mean, to be fair, yeah, to be fair, his dad was, like, a big, like, a pretty high-up military man, so he probably... But there must have been so many of those. Yeah, he probably yeah. could have gotten more than, like, gotten further than just a random... Than, like, a farmer, yeah. But this poli politician must be in on this, yeah. yeah. It must be because... Yeah. I mean, this would be like if the Secretary of State adopted you. Like, you're, go you're going yeah. places. This is, like, a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah so methodius is given this position like high up as an advisor in the administration uh he's also the abbot of a monastery at this time so he's like got things going for him politically and religiously methodius is the older one too right the older one who is a deacon yeah. yeah is he the oldest i don't know if he's the oldest of the family he's just at least 10 years older than cyril which is like a pretty big gap okay Right. So, yeah. Um, and so that's what Methodius is doing. And Cyril uh, gets a job as a philosophy professor at the university in Istanbul. So that's like how they get famous, basically, in Byzantium. But then the next thing is like, why they're saints, basically, like the thing that these people are known for. Uh, and it's called the Mission to the Slavs. 
The Slavs, we know them. The Slavs, yes, we do. And it's actually like, this is such an important part of their story that Cyril and Methodius are known as the apostles to the Slavs. This is their thing. At this time, the Slavs are like, because I know in comparison with like the Mediterranean and the middle bit, like the more northern peoples were like just out on their own kind of. They're doing, they're doing like Charlemagne castles and trebuchet kind of shit. Yeah. Good old, good old, yeah. Ramping up for a black death. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Is this Dark Ages? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Things are not great in Northern Europe. (laughs) This is, okay, so if this is the Dark Ages, this is the Minor Ice Age. Yeah, maybe. Things are not, things are not spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was a, that's what they, with like climate records, I think the Dark Age, they were like, why was everything so shitty? Like, why was everybody starving and dying? Because it was really cold. And it's because there was another like climate, like global climate dip. It was another slight ice age. I actually think it's because there was a volcanic eruption in the South Pacific. Oh yeah. And it caused a nuclear, yeah. or not a nuclear, a volcanic, a volcanic winter. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So yes. It was cold. It was bad. <laughs> yes, that's what's happening in like Northern Europe. Okay. Uh, so in 862, this guy called Prince Radislav. He is actually a king. I don't know why they call him prince. I didn't look into the naming system. But he's a king. He's like, he's in charge. He is the king prince of Great Moravia, which is like this little kingdom thing that was happening at the time, uh, which is mostly in what's now the Czech Republic, but it also covers a little bit of Poland, Slovakia, and Hungary. Just kind of the middle bit. Yeah. It's like (laughs) East Central Europe. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of the whole area. Yeah, so he asks Byzantium for missionaries to come into his land um, and preach. It's so interesting when somebody asks for it. It is. It's odd. Well, actually, he's not really... So his people are actually already Christians. Okay. He's not trying to, like, convert his population. He's basically just trying to, like, make friends with Byzantium by being like, look, I support your religion and, like, I want you, you know. Okay. He's just making political ties is really why he's doing this, yeah. I bet also that their Christianity was very loose. (laughs) Yes. Well, also, if you remember, so you've got Rome and Byzantium are kind of, like, fighting powers. So Rome is, like, coming down, Byzantium's coming up, and they're kind of, like, fighting with each other for control. So Prince Radislav used to have missionaries from the Roman section of the church in his kingdom. Um, and they irritated him and he expelled them. And so he was going to replace them with Byzantine church missionaries. Okay. Uh, but we do have popes at this time. There is a pope. Yes. There's actually a pope in Rome and there is a pope in right. Istanbul. Yes. Who's not called a pope. He's called a patriarch, but there is one. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out. Yeah. And then a little bit later, they're like, no, Rome is Rome. Is yeah. Good. In 1054, they're going to split into... The Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Okay. But that hasn't happened yet. The, like tensions are building. Gotcha. And in 1054, they're going to split apart. Yeah. So that's why these guys are still in important for Roman Catholic because they were writing stuff that has now been picked up probably by both yes. Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we've we got the Slavs wanting some some dudes. Yes. They're okay. yeah. They're not trying to convert the population they're just trying to be friends with byzantium because the romans pissed them off somehow Uh, (laughs) so they go up there in 862 uh 863 they start to translate various books of what would become the bible they do the gospels the psalms the new testament and various parts of the old testament 
And what's interesting about it is that they translate it into Old Church Slavonic, which is basically just like the language that people in that area were speaking at the time. Okay. But the reason it's called Church Slavonic instead of just like Slavonic um, is because it's the first time that it's written down and standardized. Because no one had tried to do it. And then they're doing it for the Bible and they're like, we need to make some decisions here. Uh, we, we need some, like, grammar going on that's, yes. like, consistent, please. Yeah, yeah. so it's the first wow. Slavic, like, literary standardized language. Um, it was spoken um, from, like, the 9th to the 11th century before it kind of drifts into something else. Yeah. Um, so that's, like, what the people are speaking. Yeah. So, so that must be, like, those, that translation is, like, major for... Like linguistic research, basically. Yes, it is because it's because that's know. the oldest of that group, and and it's a really standardized text, so it's really easy to translate from like yeah. you know the Greek version of the Bible or the Latin version. Yeah, so it's like a great yeah, it's a big deal. And we like me and you know like Slavic languages are much different than the other languages around it. So yeah. in terms of like language evolution, where all these languages come from, you get a really good time point with a Bible translation. Yes, they actually think now that it might. Old Church Slavonic, so not like the written version, but like the thing that people were speaking, Old Church Slavonic, might be the oldest Slavic language, like the oldest thing that we would group into Slavic yeah, language Slavic. family. Yeah. 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 Which means that it's the closest to Proto-Slavic. Right. So it's really helpful to like understand what people even longer ago were speaking in this we're area. Speaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Yes, so it's it is Damn. good stuff. And since it's the oldest Slavic language, that means it has a lot of influence on all the existing modern, like all the ones yeah. spoken now. Uh so it's like really important from like a linguistic academic point of view. Yeah. And they standardized it and wrote it down. That's pretty dope. It is it is pretty dope. This is why they're really famous, is this kind of stuff. Uh and in order to write this down, they had to invent a new alphabet because like you just said, the Slavic languages are really, really different, like mm-hmm. the different sounds than Greek and Latin. So the Greek and the Latin alphabets don't worked right. super well so they just invented a new language yeah because a lot of like it, you think about for people who don't know you think about like french and english being like germanic or um romance like, latin yeah. base like yeah um slavic and well how close is actually don't know how close is slavic to russian russian is a slavic language okay they're just very different <laughs> they are very different yeah they have like a lot of very different sounds yeah and if you think about how like even just in English, we've stolen a lot of French words, things like mm-hmm. that. But even all of our roots that we haven't stolen go back to Germanic or Latin roots, whereas mm-hmm. Slavic, no, none yeah. of it. <laughs> it's just very different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they have to invent a new script for this. Uh, so they invent one and it's called the Glagolitic alphabet. Um, so it's the first one used for Slavic manuscripts because they invented it and it was the first time anyone wrote anything down. <laughs> So is this, is it like a a proto-Cyrillic? It is proto, yeah, it's proto-Cyrillic. It doesn't, I was looking at pictures and it doesn't look like anything. It doesn't, like, I don't even begin to see how it turns into Cyrillic, but it does. What is it called again? Glagolitic. G-L-A-G-O-L-I-T-I-C. Glagolitic. Yeah, see, it doesn't look like anything. It's a lot of swirlies. <laughs> it is a lot of swirls. But it is the, it's like the grandparent. Actually, it's more like the parent of Cyrillic because Cyrillic does happen pretty quickly. It does have a Cyrillic vibe, but it is also like. So now let's think real quick. Why is Cyrillic, why is Cyrillic called Cyrillic? <gasps> oh my God. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> That's delightful. Wow. It is delightful. So Cyril is really, because he remember, he's the one who's like got this language, like aptitude. Yeah. 
So really, Cyril invented the alphabet and Methodius just helped him. And so it eventually becomes the Cyrillic alphabet after Cyril. Yeah. Hot damn. Yep. (laughs) That's wild. Yep. It's good stuff. Also, I... I appreciate that they've like sort of simplified it because this early, this first draft, a lot of curly, it's a lot, a lot of, lot of yeah. stuff going it's on. It's a lot of lines. Difficult to write. But just like some general fun facts about glagolitic. Um, so obviously it's important because it's like the first Slavic script. Um, and they actually, people kept using it until the early 1800s. Oh my God. Mainly in churches, but like it lasted. So they started in 863, lasted another thousand years in churches. Wow. particularly mainly churches some yeah. other places but mostly trace churches and the last known like instance of someone using glagolitic script was in like the 1820s or 1810s as somebody wrote down someone's baptismal record in like yeah. the church logbook in glagolitic in croatia oh <laughs> so like it lasted like a good long time wow and yeah that that sort of makes sense it's kind of like the thing of the catholic church continuing to use everything in latin for yeah. a very long time and yeah it's like, it becomes the tradition, and it's just like, we just do it this way. Yeah, and so there are, like, some old churches, like, major basilicas and stuff in, like, um, the Balkans kind of area that still have glagolitic text, like, carved into the walls of the church and stuff. Uh, so it's, like, it's a church language. Yeah. And also something, of course, sort of interesting to note about all of this is that in sort of developing a Slavic version of all of this stuff, they have moved past Western Europe. Because if you think about it, like in the Middle Ages, peasants in England were listening to mass in Latin still. Yes. Like there were not English translations of the Bible right. or mass or anything. And it yeah. was quite a long time after this that everyone else got it translated. So the Slavs are actually like doing pretty well that they're having all of this stuff translated oh, into the language of the people like so yeah. early and not yeah. just staying in Latin or Greek. which Forcing is what, everybody to listen to it in Latin, yeah. Which is what everyone else did, basically. Yeah. So this is like a big deal in a lot of ways that right. this is happening. Yeah. Is this the first time it's been translated to like not Latin or Greek? I don't know that it's the first time, but it's certainly one of the first times where it's done specifically so that the people can understand it. Got it. Because I don't know that they have fully, like, solidified the mass and the structures and stuff and decided yeah. that things should be Latin yet. Yeah. But that it is, like, most people are still doing it in Latin or Greek. But these guys are are trying not to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, they translate all these books uh, from the Bible. They invent this new uh, text, lang- written language. Uh, they standardize the spoken language. They write the first Slavic civil code, which is used in uh, Great Moravia, yeah. that kingdom. Yep. <laughs> Just like, uh, like basically civil laws. Yeah, yeah. It's like their first constitution kind of thing. They're just like generally very popular in Moravia because they like make an effort to learn the local language and like yeah. integrate rather than just being angry white tower Greek guys yeah. who refuse to you know hang out with the common people. So like people just like academics. Yeah, people just generally like them, uh, which is good. But so that's all very good and like historically exciting and stuff. But there's like a lot of political intrigue happening simultaneously. So if you remember, Prince Radislav kicked out the Roman missionaries because they yes. were irritating him. But they kind of like drift back in, like slowly, you know, over time. Um, Wiggling back in there. Yes. Um, so they are, they come in and they're representing the Carolingian Empire, which is the name of the empire that's headed by Charlemagne. And it's kind of like the first phase of the Holy Roman Empire, which obviously lasts like another thousand years. Right. 
right? So yeah. this is like okay. the very beginning of the Holy Roman Empire. And the reason it's the Holy Roman Empire is because Rome, who is now kind of dipping, is trying to get everyone else to like join them and be on their side. Yeah. And so they basically take over like France and Central Europe with Charlemagne. Yeah, they go talk to the king in France and it's like, hey. So that's that's the Carolingian Empire. And they're kind of like in league with sort of part of the Holy Roman Empire, um, which are trying to push back against Byzantium and like the Eastern Church. Right. Yeah. So we've got like Western Europe. Yeah, you've got like France, Germany, Germany over. Yeah. Germany, France are doing Carolingian Charlemagne stuff uh-huh. with the Romans. And then we've still got Romans. So that's like. That's all together kind of as the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. Which is also kind of like Western Mediterranean. And then you've got like Balkans, East Europe, Byzantium. Yes. Doing the Eastern right. stuff. Basically, we've got West and East Europe. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, but so the Carolingians, obviously, they're neighbors, right, to Great Moravia. Like, they're not that far away. Yeah. So they're kind of like, they're trying to push outwards, you know, and catch the rest of Europe. So the Carolingians send some, like, more missionary guys to come back into Great Moravia and try to get them back on the side of Rome. And Cyril and Methodius don't really get along with the Carolingian missionaries super well. Mm, good. Uh, because the Carolingians are basically like, you should be doing this in Latin. Don't translate it. What are you doing? This is all dumb. Yeah. Uh, so they don't like anything Cyril and Methodius have been doing. Um, but Cyril and Methodius, because they're nice people, they didn't want to fight with the Carolingians because they thought it was bad for Christians to fight with each other. They thought they should all be nice and friendly, which is such a nice thought. It's a nice thought. Didn't work, but it's a nice thought. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of like this like dispute happening in sort of East Central Europe between these two sides where they're hitting each other and disagreeing. And so uh, the Pope, the one in Rome, Pope Nicholas I, invites them, invites Cyril and Methodius to come to Rome and sort of like talk it out and decide what they're going to do and like, you know, yeah, try to make this stop because it's becoming a problem. Yeah. So Cyril and Methodius go to Rome. They basically walk because it's, you know, 860 something, 867. (laughs) It's 867. So they walk from, you know, the Czech Republic to Rome uh, and they have like a group of follower apostolic kind of people who go with them who aren't super important, but they don't go by themselves. Uh, they also take the relics of St. Clement, uh, who was, I don't think he's the first Pope after Paul or after Peter, but he's definitely like one of the first Popes after Peter right. because he was the Pope between 88 and 99. Oh yeah. Right there at the beginning. Yeah. So he's like one of the first couple of Popes. Uh, so he's like a very important person, obviously. Yeah. Um, and he was martyred in the year 101 by being thrown into the Black Sea by Emperor Trajan, apparently. He was tied to an anchor and thrown into the ocean. Not great. Yes. And then they they somehow located his body. Okay. Uh, There's a lot of, like, miracle stuff happening in there that's not important because we're not talking about St. Clement. But, like, somehow they acquire his body and he gets buried in Crimea. And if you remember, Cyril and Methodius were in Crimea for a bit. So they, like, take his relics and take them back to Rome. Okay. Interesting. All right. It's not super important. It's just like a weird side thing that they do is take St. Clement with them. Do we know like how, like what the relics were or just? No. Okay. Don't know anything about them. So Don't bits. even know that they're actually St. Clement oh, because yeah. he was thrown into the ocean. Uh-huh. Could be a different man who was also <laughs> thrown into the ocean because I bet that was be happening a lot. Yes. It's also been 700 years. So there's yeah. a lot of reasons this is almost certainly not St. Clement, uh-huh. but they are, they are taking relics of St. Clement back to Rome. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so they reach Rome in uh, 868. It takes them like a year to get there. That's not bad. And in that time, the Pope Nicholas, who invited them, has died and been replaced. So uh-huh. now they meet with Pope Adrian II. Can we just take a moment to appreciate that there were at least two popes called Adrian? Adrian. 
<laughs> it doesn't sound like an old-timey name, does it? No, it doesn't. It does not in any way. So in 869, they meet with Pope Adrian, and he basically, like, takes their side. He's like, yeah, you should be doing this. It's fine. Keep doing it. We don't, I don't care. Don't we love it when popes are like, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, in his defense, he probably knew that they were very popular and it's like, yeah. it looks good for the Roman right. side to be like, yes, we agree with this too. And let's keep yeah. doing it. Cause it like, you know, it's cause yeah, you're not, you're not going to get the support of the general public. Yes. If you like take something away that they like. Yeah. But so they meet with Pope Adrian and he's like very pro them, but things in Rome take a very good turn for Methodius and a very bad turn for Cyril. Oh no. <laughs> uh, so after their meeting with the Pope, Methodius, who, if you remember, was a deacon for a long time, he's like in his 50s now. He's been a deacon forever. Uh, he is personally ordained a priest by the Pope. Fancy. And then immediately... Made a cardinal? Made an archbishop. Oh. And he's given the archbishop... Archbishopship? Archbishop? Whatever. He just skipped the bishop stage. Yeah, pretty much. Not just a bishop, he's an archbishop, which is higher than a bishop. No, I know, um, but he skipped bishop. He went priest to archbishop. He just yes, skipped he did. bishop. I think, and it's kind of unclear if this all happened simultaneously or if it happened, like, over a year. But it happened really, really fast. I also don't know that there's actually any difference between the orders that a bishop and a priest take. It's just that you're a higher ranking priest as a bishop. He's basically getting a promoted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're just a, you're a priest who's been promoted. Yeah, no, they're not different. It's just, so he's been ordained personally by the Pope and then immediately given a promotion. Uh, so he's given, he's given the archbishop, so he's given the archbishopship, I guess, of Sirmium, which has a different name now, but it's in Serbia. So it's, yeah, that's where his thing is. That's what I would have guessed. And he's also given jurisdiction over great moravia so the kingdom that he just came from um and he's personally authorized to keep using the slavonic liturgy like i said the pope's like fine with this he's like specifically allowed to do this yeah all of the slavs are his archdiocese pretty much yeah okay <laughs> yeah cool. uh it has a different his archdiocese has a different name now but like that's yeah that's what that's it is it. Yeah. yeah so that's what's happening with methodius cyril becomes a bazillion monk like a specific, he just takes orders to be a specific kind of monk. Basilian uh, just means that uh, it's basically that they're a specific kind of Greek monk. Okay. It sounds like it has the same root as Basilica. It probably does. Uh, it's named after an early bishop from Turkey. It's not really important. But the <laughs> what's important about them is that all Eastern Orthodox, so once the church splits... All Eastern Orthodox monks are Basilian monks. They just are, because that is what you are if you are an Eastern Orthodox monk. This okay. is the only group in Roman Catholicism that is that. Okay, so so Eastern Orthodox just doesn't have a bunch of different like monk and nun groups, I guess. I think they do have that, but like overarching, they are just all Basilian monks. They just and then they have subdivisions. Yeah. Whereas in the Catholic Church, the Basilian is already a subdivision of Got something it. else. Okay. So they have like special permission basically to be monks of the Eastern Orthodox kind of yeah. trend. Okay. Because they happened before they the church is split, basically. What year are we in now? Like eight ninety? Eight sixty nine. Yeah. We're still like two hundred years before the split. Yeah. It's a while. Yeah, because that's in ten fifty four. Um, so Cyril becomes a Basilian monk. This is when he takes the name Cyril. If you remember, his real name is Constantine. 
it's not really important. But he then dies 50 days later in Rome. Ah. Oh, no. Do we know why? No. Oh. But he's in his... He's actually only in his, like, mid-40s, so I don't know. Well... It seems, it seems that he was something was wrong with him because they said that when he took the the orders to be this monk he already thought he was dying like he already felt really ill so he might have you know cancer or something was wrong with him i bet walking from uh yeah walking from the czech republic probably didn't help (laughs) no probably not great uh (laughs) it's interesting though i guess it makes sense i guess it makes sense it's just interesting to me that like uh, like this whole cyrillic alphabet naming thing Mm-hmm. is after Cyril, even though he wasn't named Cyril at the time, but it makes sense because that's what his name was, and that's why he, yes. that's his saint name. So that doesn't yes. make sense. Yes, and at the, when he dies, the Cyrillic alphabet hasn't happened yet. They're still using yeah. the Glagolitic one. Yeah. Uh, so he dies in Rome on February 14th, 1869, when he's in his mid-40s. So Cyril is dead now, which is very sad. That's a, He's still pretty old, though. Mid-40s. Yeah, he's okay. Especially for walking at least twice. At least twice, yeah, one. and then back again. <laughs> And possibly also to the Kazars. Also to the Kazars, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, so, yeah. that's even further. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, but so Methodius is doing, like, pretty good. He's got his archbishopship, and he goes... Wait, so speaking of names, when did Methodius take Methodius? It seems like, because if you remember, he was a deacon and the abbot of a monastery. I think he took it when he took his monkish orders a long time okay, ago. Okay, got it. Yep. Yeah. So he's been Methodius, I think, probably most of this time, but Cyril only becomes Cyril just before he dies. Uh, so Methodius goes back to the Slavs by himself um, because his bro is dead. Uh, but he doesn't go to Moravia, which is where he came from. Uh, he doesn't go there initially because they're having a bit of a political situation. <laughs> uh, Prince Radislav, who was the one who invited them in the first place, uh, has been overthrown. Yep. Taken captive by his nephew. Oh, no. oh God. <laughs> his nephew is called Svatopluk, maybe? Uh, yeah, Svatopluk. Uh, so he's overthrown by Svatopluk in 870. Uh, he's imprisoned. Yes, he's imprisoned for a while in like a neighboring kingdom. And then oh, he gosh. faces a trial, basically like a trial uh-huh. kind of thing um, under the Home- Holy Roman Empire slash Carolingian Empire because they're kind of the same That's thing. Unfortunate. Yeah. And then they kill him. Uh, well, how does he feel about that? How does, Has uh, Methodius? Methodius feel about that. Unknown. Probably not great. Um, but that also does happen in 870. Uh, and he leaves Rome in 869, so I don't know if he was that around. he knows. Well, he probably yeah. knows, but he might not have been there yet, because it takes them like a uh, year to walk. Well, yeah. So I don't know that he ever actually really got along with Radislav either, particularly. It was just that they were there. Yeah. Yeah, he was just there. Uh, so that's what, so he can't go to Moravia because this is happening, <laughs> and it's not safe. Uh, yeah, so instead he goes to like a neighboring little kingdom, which is called Pen- Pannonia. Uh, which is in what is now Western Hungary, East Austria, and the North Balkans. So again, like East Central Europe, just the next little kingdom over. Uh, yeah. So he goes there to Pannonia, but there are a lot of uh, like Carolingian Roman bishopy people in this area who still don't like him because he has special permission to keep using the Slavonic liturgy, even though the Pope gave him permission. They don't like it. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he gets captured. Oh. Pretty quickly, like almost immediately as soon as he gets there, I think. That's not good. Uh, yeah, he gets captured. He's interrogated. They send him to some castle in Germany. Oh. Oh, no, it's a monastery. They send him to a monastery in Germany. I bet it looks like a castle, though. 
I bet it, yeah, I bet it does. Uh, and he's imprisoned there for two and a half years. Oh, it's rough. Uh, but this whole time, this whole time that the Carolingian Roman bishop guys up here are angry at him, Rome is still like, leave him alone. We huh. gave him permission. You yeah. need to let him go and stop this. Mm, that sounds like a conflict. <laughs> it does. It doesn't sound like they're making their situation better. No. Uh, but so Rome actually eventually has to send a bishop named Paul. Yeah, basically to like make them let him go and. Like yeah. leave him, leave him alone. So in that happens in 873. So he's remember he left Rome in 869. Yeah, he spends two and a half years in jail, and then in 873 he's released. Okay. Um. So he's released. He regains his like archbishop control. Nice. Uh, over both Moravia and Pannonia. Mm-hmm. Moravia has calmed down, so he's allowed to go back to Par- uh, okay. Moravia. Um. Uh, what's his fate? Radislav still probably is still very dead though. Radoslav is still very dead, and his nephew Svatopluk is the king. Okay. Yeah. Well, the like the local like German Frankish Carolingian Holy Roman Empire bishops still don't like him, but the Pope has now sent several times been yeah. like, "Please leave him alone." <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, the new Moravian king Svatopluk uh, also does not like the German Carolingian Roman bishops, so he tells them to leave. He expels oh. them from his kingdom. Oh, so now Methodius is kind of like, "Hell yeah." <laughs> so he just basically like has free reign in right. the kingdom now and is kind of like allowed to do whatever he wants. His archdiocese. Yep. Yeah. And sometime uh, around the time that he is sent back, like released from prison, the Pope tells him that he should stop using the Slavonic liturgy because it's pissing everybody off and it's just like not helping in any way. So maybe just stop for a while. But he ignores the Pope and keeps doing it anyway. <laughs> I mean, stick to your guns, but someone's gonna stab you. <laughs> So he's in Moravia. Um, Svatopluk has expelled the Roman missionary preacher bishop guys, uh-huh. and he's continuing on with the Slavonic liturgy, even though the Pope told him to stop. Yeah. Um, eventually, the uh, like Roman Carolingian German bishops get back in because it's impossible to keep these people out, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and they they basically run and tattle on him to the bishop and be like, he's still using the Slavonic liturgy, even though you specifically told him to stop. Oh, to the Pope, you mean? Yes, to the Pope. Okay. Yep. And you would think that the Pope is like, didn't that king of that area expel you? What are you doing there? Apparently uh-huh. that doesn't come up. Uh-huh. <laughs> of course. So so now these um, Frankish Carolingian Pope uh, bishop guys are angry at him. Uh-huh. And the Pope is like kind of irritated because the Pope told him to stop. Yeah. So he's summoned to Rome again. Uh-huh. Again, he walks from... <laughs> from... Slovakia to Yes. To so Rome. this is in eight seventy eight. So he was released from prison in eight seventy three. Uh so he had like a good like five ish years where he was like had free reign Chilling. to do what he wanted yeah. in Moravia. Yeah. So he has to go back to Rome and he's charged on um like charges of heresy and using Slavonic. That's like the things oh God. that they're angry at him for. Uh and there's a new pope now again. Adrian yeah. is dead. Uh so now we're on to uh John the Eighth. Uh, John the Eighth is basically like this Slavonic thing still seems fine, clears him of all charges, and tells him to go back to Moravia. This is incredible. Again, with permission to use Slavonic again. These popes <laughs> just being like real dudes. I know they're all just like this is fine. Why? I know this is like the third or fourth pope. Yeah, I wondered if it has something to do. So it's definitely it's definitely political. And Mm -hmm. the popes know that, like, if they, like, pull it entirely, they're going to make that whole group really angry. 
Yeah. They're probably going to have a big old war. Uh, especially yep. since the kings already don't like the missionaries they send from like mm-hmm. Germany and France. So, well, I think I think the reason the kings don't like the missionaries isn't because they're actually like anti-Rome. I think the bishops are basically just power hungry. Like they're trying yeah, to right. collect personal right. power and it irritates yeah. the princes and the kings. Yeah. So they keep expelling them. Yeah. Right. And I think it also is probably, I don't know that we have cardinals at this point. We should also look into how the fuck they did uh, yeah, I don't know. at this time. No idea. Uh, <laughs> they're just, I mean, I, they, I know they're going to die frequently, but I have no idea what their process of selecting popes at this time is. Yeah, me neither. But it, Presuming that the next popes are also priests who are hanging out with the previous pope, mm-hmm. it makes sense that they all are kind of believing the same thing. Because the first one was probably like explained is like, "Yo, if we make these people mad," and, yeah, it's and, like it's a political consideration, not a religious consideration yeah. at this point. Yeah, and like because the Holy Roman Empire isn't, I mean, at this time it's not. It's still growing at this time. It's not yeah, it's, at it's full building power. itself. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's partly why they're allied with the the Carolingians. Carolingians. So they're also probably like, if they get angry with Rome, we're not gonna survive that situation. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's like, and it. So it's probably to some extent of the popes explaining it to all the other priests who hang out with them, which is why all the other popes are like, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to start a war not about that and then all these guys the carolingians carolingians there we go are yeah like power hungry like you said and like trying to expand their empire yeah yeah they want to expand they don't really i mean they're allied with roman empire but they don't really care like from a a religious standpoint they don't really care about the difference between the roman and the byzantine churches yeah no right so they're like they just want to expand they don't they don't really care if they start a war and they just want to expand. And that's kind of the mm-hmm. point of expanding is starting a war. Um, mm-hmm. And the Pope is like, chill. Yeah. Because yeah. the Pope is like, we're going to get fucked up <laughs> if we yeah, start a war yeah. right now. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so he's cleared of these charges in 878. Uh, he goes back to Moravia. He keeps using his Slavonic liturgy and doing what he was doing. This Pope, John VIII, dies in 882. So about four years later. And then it seems like the next pope isn't as pro-Slavonic. He doesn't like outright pull him, like tell him to stop. But it's kind of like, don't do anything annoying or he will get rid of you kind of a situation. Uh, um, but then Methodius only lives a couple years longer because he's in his um, seven. He's almost 70. Damn. Uh, and he dies on April 6th of 885. I feel like, so here's another thing that has come up multiple times. Where we've got these these uh, saints that live like a pretty long time through their time, and then inevitably there's like eighty five popes, and it's like <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with the popes because Methodius popes seems fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. I, don't, I think it, it's probably related to like food quality. Yeah, maybe it's also possible that all the popes are living to age seventy two, but they get hired when they're sixty eight. When they're sixty eight, yeah. So they only live another two years. But and man, then they're dead. They, we were fucking going. Through I know, the just popes going through those popes. One of these stories. <laughs> and then one day we're gonna do like a, a saint from like the nineteen sixties, and it's just gonna be John Paul the whole time. Uh, it's gonna be the whole time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that saint's entire life is John Paul. <laughs> we gotta hit the like mid two thousands so we can hit a resignation. Exactly. All right. So anyway, so Methodius, 
you know, he's kind of on shaky ground, but doesn't get outright pulled right at the end of his life. Right. Um, so Slavonic kind of like slides under the radar and just like continues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you remember, Cyril died on Valentine's Day, February 14th in 869. He was 43. Is it Valentine's Day or is it Valentine's Day? Well, both, because it's actually, it, that is their feast day too. No, I know. That's why yes. it's just that they came way before St. Valentine. It is. it is Cyril's it is Cyril's day first. Yes. Um but no, so he Italian died in Rome. Day. No, Cyril Cyril is the one that dies on Valentine's Day. Oh, okay. In eight sixty nine. Yes, his, he's been dead for twenty years, almost twenty years. Uh so he died Cyril dies when he's forty three. He died in Rome, if you remember, because he would, he had just gotten there. Uh he's now buried at the um Basilica di San Clemente with the relics of St. Clement, who he brought back, remember, from Moravia. Uh-huh. So there's a church, you know, he's an important saint, yeah. so he has his own basilica in Rome. So that's where Clement is, because it's his church, and then they put Cyril there, too, because he brought him. So that's where he is. Um, and then Methodius dies on April 6th, 885. He is 70 years old. He died in Great Moravia, remember, because that's where he was. Weirdly, they don't know where he's buried, because Uh-oh. to this day... Well, they know that he was buried in the main cathedral in Moravia's capital city. Uh-oh. But weirdly, historians don't know which city was the capital. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's just like a weird historical blip. Great, yeah. great. Yeah, they just like aren't sure. Like there's obviously like it's wow. probably one of these four cities. Yeah. But they don't really know. So he could be in any one of like several churches. And they're obviously like big cathedrals. Yeah. And there's like a lot of people buried there. And you can't just yeah. like rip up the floor and look for him. So they're just like... Don't know where he is. <laughs> so yeah, and it's like there, there's a bunch of big churches in each of the cities, and they're yeah. all old enough. And yeah, and they've wow. all got three hundred people buried in them, and you can't just like rip up the floor and try to find Methodius. And even if you found him, how would you know that it was, it was Methodius him and not some other dude? Yeah, so it's just like they just don't really know where he is. But it's probably in like what is now the Czech Republic or Slovakia. That's like about as good as they can get. Yeah. So if you remember, they invented glagolitic. Um, and pretty soon after they are both dead, one of their like student follower people develops early Cyrillic, like something we would more recognize as an early version of Cyrillic and obviously names it after his teacher, Cyril, which is why it's called Cyrillic. Uh, that student is also sainted eventually. His name is, uh, Saint Clement of Ohrid, maybe. Uh, so yeah, he's also important. So they... Are like I said earlier, there's no real rules about what makes you a saint. There's no process. They just kind of are immediately. Everyone just pretty much as soon as they're dead, everyone like normal people are just calling them Saint Cyril and Saint Methodius. There's like not even like a, no. a pope being like, no. hey, they're saints now, even though there's no process. Nope, it just happened. Huh? It just happened. Everyone just basically as soon as they were dead, people are like, yeah, these people are saints, and then everyone just accepted it and moved on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the first time they appear in a papal document as like on like a list or anything is in 1880. So a thousand years later, they appear on like some actual official record. Okay. All right. <laughs> which is, which is cool. great. Yeah. Um, but like I said earlier, they like they didn't perform any miracles. So yeah. they were, I mean, they were important teachers, important theologians, like historical figures, important in the early church. But by today's standards, they may or may not be able to be a saint, you know? Well, do we know, are they still saints in the new version as of 19? They are. So 
Apparently, Vatican II decided that they are important enough that they can continue to be saints, but, like, if they were born and did all of this now, they probably wouldn't be. Yeah. It's definitely based in, like, the importance of... It's like the very early church stuff. Yeah. yeah. Importance of writings and translating and like spreading bringing religion. the word to more people yeah. and yeah like obviously they're important but they're not miracle saints the way other right. people are yeah they're they're more like uh i mean it's the same same it's the same importance as like all the letters from like paul and stuff like that yeah or like saint clemente who was just an early bishop or an early pope he may or may not have had any miracles either but he still gets to be a saint because he was important for the early church right. yeah yeah and that they have really good records that these two guys existed so yes that's very very good records <laughs> Because that's one of the biggest things that Vatican II does is they're like, yeah, we're cutting you out because there's no historical evidence. Yeah. No, these people definitely existed. Yes, for sure. Uh, So they're Saint Day now. They have like a pair, like they're together. They share a Saint Day. Is uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's February 14th because that's the day Cyril died. And he was before, possibly before um, Valentine. So they get to claim it. Um, I mean, they're way before Valentine. I actually don't think that's true. Isn't Valentine like the 1600s? No. 1500s? I don't think so. I think St. Valentine's probably actually not that long from now. Hang on, let's look it up. Oh no, St. Valentine has already been long dead. He was born in 226. Shit. So actually, I don't know why they're allowed to share it with Valentine. Because didn't Claire have to change hers because it was already somebody's day? Yeah, they uh, when she they were gonna make it when she died, but then somebody those other two martyrs were on the day she died, and then mm-hmm. so this is the day after, and then after Vatican II, those other two martyrs weren't saints yeah. anymore. So they took well, I don't I don't back. know why they're allowed to share this, but from right at the beginning, it was always February fourteenth in the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, there must be saints that share days. Yeah, it, there have to be because there's too many saints. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. too many. Uh, so yeah. I wonder if it's about rank, like the kind yeah, of maybe. the importance thing. It's also probable that St. Valentine was not nearly as important or popular in this time as he seems now. Right. Like, Valentine's Day didn't exist. Yes. Like, no one would have heard of him. Yep. And so it seems to us like they're stealing Valentine's thunder. Yeah. But Valentine was nobody at this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's that's their Roman Catholic feast day, uh, since they're obviously, they're, they were Byzantines, so they're important for the Eastern Orthodox Church, too. Another thought on the feast day. Uh, probably weren't writing things down as much. Yeah, they might not have was. known that Valentine's was also yeah, that maybe. day. Especially because no one apparently wrote them down, really. Right. So. <laughs> Until the 1880s, so yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So in the Eastern Orthodox Church, because they're obviously important for that too, their feast day is May 11th. I don't know why it's May 11th. It just is. Maybe that was the next free day. I don't know. Um, some Eastern Orthodox churches, I learned, still use the Julian calendar. Which is the one that came before the Gregorian, which is what we use now. Wow. So on the Julian calendar, their feast day is May 24th. So in some churches in the Eastern Eastern Europe, it would be on May 24th. Um, and before Vatican II, uh, it was July 7th. So they changed it to be February 14th. So it was February 14th right when they died. Uh-huh. And then somewhere in the middle, it got changed to July 7th. Probably because of the overlapping. They started writing stuff down. Yeah, maybe. And, and like, then no, can't overlap. And then in Vatican II, they're like, no, put them back. Yeah, put them back on February 14th. Okay. Yeah. Huh. yeah. So now, right now, for us, their normal Roman Catholic feast day would be Valentine's Day. February. Okay. Yes. Uh, so there aren't any particular relics I could find because they don't know where Methodius is. 
And Cyril, like, they know where Cyril is, but as far as I can tell, no one took relics, so he's just all there, I guess. Uh, So they, (laughs) their patronage is dope, okay? Ooh, love it. Okay, yes. So I'm going to start from, like, the least interesting thing. Okay. And work up. Nice. Okay, so the least interesting thing I could find is that they are the patrons of the Slovak Greek Catholic Eparchy of Toronto. What? <laughs> kind of like an archdiocese. It's like a it's like an archdiocese, but for the Eastern Catholic Church, not for the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. Of Toronto. Of this specific yeah, so they're the patron saints of this diocese in Toronto. Yes. Why that one in Toronto? I don't know. I guess there are lots of Slovaks and Greeks there. I don't know. Weird. They are also the patrons of the Byzantine Catholic Eparchy of Kosic, Kosice, maybe, which is another diocese in Slovakia of the Eastern Orthodox Church in Slovakia. So they've got two dioceses so far. They are also the patrons of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia. Okay. So they've got three dioceses so far, one Roman Catholic, two Eastern Orthodoxes. Which, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he was he was basically an arch he was an archbishop. He was an archbishop, so it it makes sense. Uh, Then they are the patrons of the country of Bulgaria, the country of North Macedonia, the country of the Czech Republic, the country of Slovakia, and the country of Moldova. (laughs) Lovely. So they've got five countries. Wait for it. There's one better one. They are the patron saints of Europe. Nice. Lit. Yes. <laughs> Just all of it. It's good. Yes, Just all of it. Throw it on they, sh- they share it with one, there's three patron saints of Europe. So it's these okay. two. And there's one other guy who I don't know anything about because I didn't look him up. Uh-huh. Um, but so it's these three people. Uh, and they were given uh, the Pope, I guess, John Paul II, maybe decided that in 1980. So. Okay. Even in 1980, people are like, these people are important. They should be the patron saints of Europe. That makes sense that it was uh, John Paul, though. It does, because he is Polish. We should probably check and see if. That's pretty cool, though. It is. It's like a, it's probably the highest. Like, I didn't even know that there were patron saints of continents. (laughs) (laughs) Or even countries, really. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Pope John Paul II took office in 1978. And this happened in 1980. So it's like one of the first things he did was to make them. What year did he die? Like 2004 or something. When I was a kid. 2005. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I remember that. He was. He was extremely old. Very old. Yeah. He would have been 85 when he died. So it's, he must have been relatively young. He must have been pretty young when he, he took office. He was only office. like 50 or 60. Yeah, That's pretty good. Yes. So I think Francis was like already 70. Uh, he would have been 58, which is very young. I wonder if they've changed the age. I thought the age limit was higher than that. I don't think there is an age limit. I think it just takes so long for you to progress through, like, priest to, like, bishop. No, there is a minimum age, just like there is for president. Oh, is there? Yeah, there is. I just don't know what it is. I thought it was older than this, but apparently it's not. What is it? Maybe it's 50. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Let's see. The Wikipedia page says that uh, he's the 264th pope, the first non-Italian pope in 455 years. Ouch. Um, Represent. Yep. He... At only 58 years of age, he was the youngest pope since Pope Pius IX, who was elected in 1846. So, yeah. Okay. Anyway. 
All right. Anyway, <laughs> back to these. Back to Cyril and Methodius. We're gonna we're gonna talk about John Paul II in every episode. <laughs> yes. Well, also presumably we will do an actual episode on him eventually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's got. I mean, he, they're the patrons of everywhere and all of Europe. That's delightful. And all of these things. Uh, and so they obviously have like monuments and statues and churches and universities and yeah. libraries and seminaries, just like everywhere <laughs> yeah there's like all through eastern and central europe the balkans north america um russia you know just everywhere i bet i mean they're also just like great like academics yeah they're also just like historical important, important academically important just like yeah everything about them there's so many languages <laughs> yes there's only one roman catholic basilica so like a bigger church uh, dedicated to them in the world, which oh. is in Danv- Danville, Pennsylvania. Don't know why. Probably also immigrants. Uh, and that basilica in Pennsylvania is the seat of the Sisters of St. Cyril and Methodius, which is like oh. an order of nuns. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, let's see. So other than their feast days, they have like, they're celebrated in other days in different places. Right. Um, so in Bulgaria, there's a Day of Bulgarian Education and Culture and oh. Slavonic Script Day. Delightful. Which is like a national holiday. Yep, that's in May. It's on May 24th. Um, in North Macedonia, there's Slavonic Enlighteners Day. In the Czech Republic and Slovakia, there's uh, St. Cyril and Methodius Day. Um, Russia, Russia, Slavonic Literature and Culture Day. So like, yeah, they got like a lot of stuff going. And then there's just some random stuff because you seemed to enjoy the... Uh, Oh, yes. The little fossil from uh, Joseph Mockloof. So I got you some other yes. random fun facts that are not religious, but are fun. <laughs> so there is a St. Cyril peak and a St. Methodius peak, which are next to each other. Oh, cute. In Antarctica. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, there's something, I don't know. Nope. nope. Oh. It's on Livingston Island, which is part of the South Shetland Islands in Antarctica. Huh. Yep, Probably named fun. by... Slums, probably assume. yeah probably cute and then there was the brotherhood of saint cyril and methodius which was a secret political society uh founded in russia in 1845 Conspiracies. their thing was um basically to gain freedom from ukraine from the russian empire like ukrainians who didn't want to be part of russia anymore right uh, but they only lasted two years before getting stamped out yeah not as fun <laughs> <laughs> interesting but all right yeah not as fun as the uh antarctica mountains yeah and then the last thing i have for you is a fun personal family connection uh-oh do you do you okay so the basilica basilica de san clemente where cyril uh-huh. and clemente are buried uh-huh do you remember when me and mom went to rome <gasps> yes do you remember the church that freaked us the hell out Yes. Guess what church that is? Oh, why? Yes. That's delightful. It is. So I will tell this story briefly. When I was oh in my high school, my goodness. mom and I went to Rome for like vacation. And, you know, we do all the normal Rome stuff and go see all this, you know, the Colosseum and the Vatican and whatever. And we went to the Basilica di San Clemente because they have, um, it's a very old church, obviously, if it was standing in the 800s. Uh, and they have like nice mosaics and like, it's just a nice old church that uh, tourists Good go to Rome see. Stuff. Yeah, so we yeah. go to see it. And, you know, it's a nice church. It's the same as all the other old Basilica E churches. Um, but it's kind of different because it's it's not just a church because it was built on top of an older version of the Basilica, which was built on top of a 
um what is it called like a roman temple no a roman oh. temple to the sun god whose name i cannot remember now apollo nope helios kind of thing it's not yep. helios but it's something like helios <laughs> um so the um a temple to him that's what it's built uh-huh. on top of and that temple was built on top of a like roman rich people villa that's just got some layers <laughs> it does and it's quite literally layered they're like uh-huh. basements yeah. so you can go down and look like you can go down and look at the old basilica and then go below that and you can wow. look at the temple and below that is the like remains of the villa um it's just like very like historically and archaeologically interesting uh-huh. And so my mom and I were down there looking at the archaeology and like reading the plaques and stuff. And the whole time I was down there, I was like, I don't like it here. It's creepy and I hate it. <laughs> and, and so I'm just like, but like we flew all the way from the United States yeah. to visit these places in Rome. And like, I'm going to power through yeah. because mom is interested and excited and reading. So I'm just going to. It's just a little spooky. Like, it's fine. Like, yes, I'm like, I'm going to handle yeah. it. We'll only be down here for 20 minutes and then we'll go back up outside and it'll be fine. And I don't want to ruin this for mom. So I just deal with it. And at the back of this like space basementy thing where you can look at the archaeology and they have all these plaques and stuff uh there's a room from the roman villa like the walls are still standing and stuff and in the room is i don't remember what the room was but it had a running water system which is under the floor which is like very high tech and cool for ancient rome yeah yeah kind of like a like a home-sized aqueduct kind of Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah so it's running under the floor so you can like you know, dip stuff in and then there's a bathroom that uses it and whatever. Yeah. Uh, but because it's all stone and basementy, it's like very echoey and loud. So you can hear the running water. And the archaeologists at some point have like pulled up one of the floor tiles over the aqueduct so that tourists can like look down and see the water. And it's like at the back corner of this room, there's no lights. It's extremely dark. Everything is like musty and gross Uh, and dark. And the ceilings are really low. And there's like staircases to nowhere and stuff. It's just very creepy. And we're standing in this doorway. And I'm like, I am 16. I am not afraid of the dark. (laughs) I should go look in the the thing, in the channel. Yes. Because the archaeologists think it's interesting or they Uh wouldn't have moved the tile. And I should do this because we flew all this way. And I'm like, I'm going to go look at it. So I'm walking across the this dark room, and mom is standing in the doorway watching me. And I'm like walking up to it. I'm like, I'm gonna die here. I'm, <laughs> like, gonna, die. I'm yeah. gonna look. I'm gonna look into this hole in the ground, and something. There's gonna be a face, or like a hand's yeah. gonna reach up and grab me and pull me in, and I'm gonna die. And that obviously didn't happen. But it, like, it's just a normal channel. The water wasn't even deep. It was only like six inches down. It was. It was. It was running so fast that it was white water. So you could oh, see wow. it really well in the dark. Like, nice. it was not yeah. scary in literally any way. Yeah. <laughs> but I felt, yeah. like, so stressed out. So anyway, so we do that. And then we come back up and, like, we go to dinner or whatever because it's the evening. And I'm talking – we're talking about, like, what we did during the day and the favorite sites we saw. And I was like, I really did not like Basilica di San Clemente. And mom was like, oh, neither did I. <laughs> And mom is like, why didn't you say anything? We could have left early. And I was like, well, like we flew all this way and I thought you were enjoying it. And I didn't want to ruin it. And mom was like, I thought you were enjoying it. And I didn't want to ruin it. And I really hated it. And it was awful. And I was like, oh. And she was like, when you were walking across that room to look at the water, I thought you were going to (laughs) die. She was like, I had to fight this urge to grab you and pull you back. And like, I just bad vibes, bad vibes everywhere. Everything about it was spooky and gross. And I can remember, because there's, like, a plaque 
headstone kind of thing for St. Clement and St. Cyril down there because that's where they're buried, yeah. obviously. It's like yeah. totally normal. So I can remember seeing that and like it's historically interesting, but all I can think of of this church is this. bad vibes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When 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 in this research did you realize it was the same church? Oh no, I I know that. Like oh. I've known that since I was 16 that this is the same church. Which is part of the reason, I think, because I actually learned about Cyril and Methodius in, like, a history class at school. But oh. I think the reason I remember so well that these people invented Cyrillic is because I learned it in school, and then I saw it at that church. And uh-huh. now it's and just, like, stuck in my memory really well. Horrifying experience. <laughs> yes. yeah. So I have known wow. that the entire time. Like, I do remember that very well. But so, yeah, yeah that's our fun family, fun family ties. <laughs> the scariest place I've ever been in my entire life. I also love that you knew so much about these people, and I had literally no idea. <laughs> Well, I got a five on my AP World History test, so take that. Uh, maybe it's because I did not take AP World History. Yeah, maybe that's where I learned about it. I did not take AP World. Um, so I wonder, I wonder why it was so creepy. Because bad, like, bad Cyril juju. sounds like a, a cool dude. Like he wasn't. Well, he wasn't <laughs> martyred because yeah, I feel no, like yeah. martyrs are well. But, but Clemente was though. Was. Yeah. So yes. Maybe it's his. Mom, me and mom have talked about this extensively. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Mom thinks that it's because the Christian church was built on top of the sun god temple and that oh. just built bad juju. Yeah. <laughs> that is mom's theory, yep. <laughs> which I support. I think yeah. that's accurate because there's like the like the altar to the sun god is still down there. Like it's still yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I also think that the temple wasn't like a freestanding temple. I think it was like shady underground. We're not supposed to be doing this. Keep it on the down low for this yeah. family that lived there. Like like old gods. Kinda. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That is sketch. It was extremely scary. It wasn't even like super dark. Like it's lit well enough for like little old lady tourists yeah. to walk around and read the things. Yeah. And it was just... It's got it mood just, lighting, but it's lit. Yes, it was bad. Wow. And like, we, because we went, um, there's a cemetery necropolis under the Vatican, under the Basilica oh. in the Vatican. And we had just gone there like two or three days before this. Right. And that is like super narrow, really dark, mm-hmm. really grimy, dead bodies everywhere. Yeah. Bones. Not scared at all. Yep. I was like, this is fine. Uh-huh. And then this, like, very well-lit, very open and spacious, no dead people, Basilica yeah. de San Clemente. And I was just like, nope, vibes. nope, nope. Just nope. vibes, man. <laughs> yeah. Man. We should go back. I would love to go. Absolutely fucking not. I-, <laughs> I will get some ice cream and stand on the very sunny and very cute street outside. You can go in there. <laughs> I've heard that story so many times. And I'm just, like, fascinated by it. Because I have had that feeling once before. Which is completely unrelated story that I will not tell here, but um, which mom also think does not happen, did did not happen, which I think is interesting. Well, this is good because mom was there. We both mom, felt it. But you both agree with it, yeah. So yeah. That's good, but <laughs> that would be interesting. Maybe I'll come visit you and we can go to. Yeah, sure. I'll get some ice cream and stand on the sunny street, and you can go down into the creepy dark place, and you can see the staircases to nowhere. Staircases to nowhere are not great. No, they're not. Like, they just give people bad vibes. Even that, that one house, that the Winchester house in oh, California yeah. or something, where she just kept renovating and she built stairways to every, to nowhere. Those are just not good. They're not yeah, good. especially in a basement where there's, like, a lot of water echoing around. It's not great. Where you were already nervous about the bad juju before you even saw the staircase to nowhere. <laughs> yeah. 
fun. He that was that was a great that was a great story. A lot of historical relevance. Yeah. Just hitting hard on the historical relevance of this one. Yeah, obviously really important to a lot of a huge section of the world because obviously so many people use Cyrillic now. Yeah, just world even history. people. Yeah, people that aren't even Slavs use Cyrillic now. So yeah, and all because the Khazars needed somebody to translate their toll their system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get that good money wow Alrighty. uh so yeah my sources for this were obviously wikipedia because wikipedia is the best uh and also catholics online the orthodox wiki the arc arc which is like an archdiocese of pittsburgh a great word <laughs> it's good arc <laughs> I don't think I'm saying it right, but that's what it looks like. So the Archiparchy of Pittsburgh and franciscanmedia.org. But obviously they're like famous historical figures. So every textbook, every encyclopedia has stuff about them. Right. Archiparchy makes sense if they're calling... um, They're calling the Pope a patriarch. Yeah. So it's the Archpatriarch, which is the same as an Archbishop. Yeah. So yeah, that's St. Cyril and Methodius. Hopefully everyone learned some stuff about Dark Ages political situations. This might be my favorite episode so far. It's good stuff, isn't it? Especially all the popes just constantly dying. (laughs) And everyone telling him that it's fine to be Slavonic. Yeah, yeah. I just had a lot of revelations in this one, like where Cyrillic came from. Like that revelation was in real time. I was not faking that. (laughs) And then just delightful. Wow. Yeah. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we will be back next week with someone who hopefully had some miracles. And fewer popes, but probably not. Probably, probably not. Popes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, guys.